that's a challenge for us to just be still. To embrace quiet. To embrace silence. To embrace solitude. Let me talk a little bit more um, practical about this practice of silence and solitude. There are three that I would hope that we would embrace this week when we talk about the practice of silence and solitude. I'll give you a bonus one. The bonus one is sacred space. That you would have a space that you set aside, in, whether it's in your house, your backyard, at, in your office, that you would maybe turn away from your desk, that there would be this sacred space. But, but let me talk about these three movements. The, the, the first one is stop. Stop. To, to find a time in your day where you are just able to, to cease from doing. To just, to just be still in God's presence. And what, what I've discovered is that when we talk about that, 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 that one of the challenges with stopping is that if you think about a smart car trying to stop and a semi-truck trying to stop, it, takes, it would take more time for that semi-truck to slow down and actually fully come to a stop. And I think a lot of our minds are much more like that semi-truck. So when we talk about stopping, that we would even imagine that as a, a, a transition time to be able to actually slow down and then stop and be still. Because what ends up happening, the moment that we try to stop, is that then all of a sudden, all of those thoughts, be able to just, imagine, just immediately come to the surface of our minds. I don't know if you've realized that, that when you, the moment that you decide, I'm just going to be still and step into God's presence, the first thing that comes to your mind is something like, I have never drained my water heater before. Right? Like the most random things end up popping up into your mind. Oh, man, Kevin texted me six months ago, and I never texted him back. One of the practices that I do in those moments when it's really difficult to just actually slow down and stop is I have a scratch piece of paper. And I'll write down that random thing that I'm absolutely terrified to forget. And I write it down, and I say, silencio, Bruno. I'm with Jesus right now. I'm in his presence. A historic church practice is something that we've talked about together as a community before, is breath prayer. And so maybe if your mind can't slow down, that then you would occupy it with something else. This historic church practice is usually you find a, something like a scripture that allows you to be able to just... Stop and breathe in God's presence so that you might be able to better just be better aware of who he is. So some common breath prayers are would just be this. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have 
mercy on me, a sinner. Will you just be able to be in a place where you sit with him? Find a scripture that will remind you of his presence. Can we just practice that for a quick second? Maybe more than a second. One of the goals that we're trying to get to in this would be what I would say is the, the, hopefully the second movement of silence and solitude that you embrace, and it would be the place of surrender. That, that the challenge with silence and solitude is that it's the space in which we come before the Lord, and, and it's no longer about us speaking to him. But it's the space of being completely open to the ways that he would want to speak to us. Um, Pete Scazzaro said it, said it this way, let's face it, we all want a spiritual life, but we prefer to be in charge of it and have it unfold according to our schedule. But following Jesus is not first doing things for him, it is first listening to him speak and then doing what he says. And so maybe a breath prayer that you might then transition to is something like, Lord, speak, your servant's listening. Because I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm increasingly more concerned with the fact that Jesus seems to agree with every point of my worldview. And, and I, I want to be in a place where I'm following him where he's able then to, to speak to me and direct me and not me coming to him and saying, this is how things should be. And, and what you'll discover is that silence and solitude is that place of deep transformation because it's the place where he's speaking and he's working in your life. And the last movement that I would encourage you in, in this is to submerge just submerge in his presence. I, I think we, we've so, we're a society that, that values accomplishing and success. And I think so much so that that has invaded our understanding of the point of prayer. I think that we, we, we think that prayer is first and foremost, it should be done because it works. You should pray because it accomplishes. You should pray because God will do something. And yes, prayer works, but what if prayer was first and foremost about stepping into the loving presence of God and just knowing his presence? Of being in communion with him of being in relationship with him. Because here's the point of the place of prayer. Before you ever accomplish, 
before you have any accolades, before you've done anything, you step into the presence of Jesus and just discover that he's absolutely delighted with you. And you have nothing to show for it. See, what I'm discovering in this place of, of, of practicing silence and solitude, and I'll celebrate, I'm up to 10 minutes a day. But what I've discovered in this place is that all of a sudden it brings so much more clarity to my motivations. What I mean by that is I'm not out. I mean, it's still the struggle. It's still the temptation to think that I need to go do and accomplish. And as I do, that that's where all of a sudden I will find value. But now in this space of trying to continue to have this practice of just being and submerged in God's presence, that I don't have to go do to find value and significance in life. That's already been simply discovered in the presence of Jesus. Maybe to help you think about it this way, that when, when, when God created, he didn't create because he was looking to, to be loved. He didn't create us so that someone would actually love him and they're like, oh, I need this. I need to be loved. No, he created out of an overflow of the love that already existed in himself. So he did because he wanted to share the love that already existed there within himself. And that we would discover that in our life, we would go out and do, and we would be missional, and we would have an impact upon the world. But we're not doing that because we're looking for significance. We're doing that because we've already found that in the presence of God. So as we turn to communion, it's that same statement. It's a night when Jesus put on the clothes of a servant and washed the disciples' feet. The place of, of them discovering that even the night in which they're going to betray and, and abandon Jesus, he loved them. And so for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. That this table is an invitation for us again to discover before we ever accomplish, before we ever go out and do, his love remains. His love is there for us.